Hour number two, kicking off here in the White Claw Heart Seltzer Studios. Hit us with some hour two headlines that we might have missed over the weekend, Sam. Thanks, John. You're welcome. Some tough news for you, John. Oh, no. Uh, Hawks' Trey Young is out four weeks at least uh, for finger surgery, has a torn ligament in his left pinky finger. Ah, contraire, Sam. You said this was tough news for me. It's not tough news for me. No? No, no, it's just going to be – I've come – I've already accepted that they're going to trade him this offseason. Okay. So this is a nice little test run and see what life is going to be like without Trey. How are you feeling say, about making the playoffs without him now? Fighting for it at nah, least. Nah, we're not going to make it. I mean, we'll be in the play-in <laughs> tournament, but we won't. We won't make nah, it out yeah. of the play-in tournament. Although, yeah. you know, the first game, I, I was locked in last night. Okay, what are we going to look like without Trey? I don't know why I'm still watching these damn games, but I am. And the first quarter was absolutely dreadful. I think we scored 19 points in the first quarter. I was like, oh, my God, the offense went from best in the league to terrible. But then the second, third, and fourth quarter, they played really well. And, you know, I don't really like watching DeJounte Murray shoot those pull-up jumpers. But he started hitting some, and the team played some defense, although the Magic were dreadful on offense last night without Paolo. But I imagine Trey's going to get traded this offseason. He's a LeBron boy. Clutch agency. They're going to have three first-round picks they could trade. Maybe Austin Reese for Trey Young, something like that. Really? I'm already bracing for it. I've come to accept it. I'm just excited about Jalen Johnson. And I, last night I was like, you know, I want to see what Kobe Buffin, the Buffkin, the, uh, the uh, first-round pick from Michigan looks like. So, whatever. Did you happen to see from – it was from Saturday night – um, you mentioned Paolo Bancaro. He had a game winner for Orlando, and then they interviewed him, and he was like crying. Really? He scored like 15 points, and it was like a it was a win. But he even said, you know, they bleeped him out. He goes, I don't know why the I'm crying, but I guess they said he was sick, and he just, you know, guess he had to work hard. I don't know. It was just weird. It was was that his first career game winner? Maybe. Maybe I don't know. He's a hell of a player. Though. Yeah, he is really good. Um, yeah, it seems really dumb in hindsight that they were talking about, you know, drafting Jabari Smith over him or – Yeah. Yeah. Or even even like that Chet wasn't like – it, to me it's like Paolo and Chet are so far ahead of Jabari and Jabari like was leading the charge as the number one pick for so long in that like – that build up to the draft. Jabari's fine, but yeah, Chet's awesome and Paolo's a, you know, an all-NBA type of talent. I just remembered it was it was the year at the end of the year when he was at Duke and I had the opportunity to talk with Barnes because if you recall Tennessee wanted well everybody wanted him but Tennessee supposedly had a shot at him and he just kept saying Duke made the Final Four that year didn't they Yeah that was the team that North Carolina beat in the Final Four That's right Yeah that's right So um, he was just saying you don't understand how like what a specimen he already is at that age. And he was like, he said it, he goes, he's got the best pro game out of any of these guys coming out. And that was before he got drafted. And it's bearing itself out from that class. Um, I remember watching him in March and just thinking that he had it. I mean, just the way he could handle the ball. And I was really impressed with his passing and play and making. And then, yeah, I mean, he gets to the pros and he's been, been really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some big, College football news: Eric Bieniemy set to be the new UCLA offensive coordinator. Uh, Deshaun Foster, obviously the the newly hired UCLA head coach, goes and finds a big name offensive coordinator coming from the NFL. Uh, Bieniemy, hometown kid, grew up around there, uh, went to high school in an area pretty pretty close to campus. Said that he really wanted to kind of come back there, and that's where he got his coaching start. Uh, with the Chargers, so he wanted to get back into Southern California, kind of get that going, and and this feels like a really, really big hire for UCLA after it felt like they were kind of in in limbo there after Chip Kelly goes and not knowing who's going to pick up the next head coaching job there. They get to Sean Foster, and now they've got Eric Bieniemy to get be uh, their offensive coordinator. I'm going to be interested to see how that goes, just given the level of experience Bieniemy has versus what Foster has. It's a bold move by Foster. He's got to have a lot of confidence in, you know, his ability to be surrounded. You know, a lot of a lot of executives and bosses do that. They surround themselves with as, you know, talented a people as they can. But 
It's just gonna be interesting to watch that dynamic. I think. What a fall from what a fall from grace. For yeah. Eric Bieniemy said he had some. Uh, he had an assistant head coaching job and like a running back coach job in the NFL, and he said he turned it down. Who knows? Do you think Eric Bieniemy? This is him pivoting. Seems like it. And just saying, like, I'm never going to get the NFL head coaching job. It feels so like it. Maybe I go to college and I can get a he- college head coaching job. That's the vibe I get. Maybe he'll get that job. <laughs> it's just, it's a weird one, I think. But, I mean. Well, I, so, I don't think he'll get the job just because if if it goes poorly enough for Foster to get fired, and then that means the offense has been terrible and the enemy's been terrible. It's not necessarily the same as the the Petrino Pittman situation where you can at least look at it and say, Hey, Petrino used to be great here. The enemy's never been great in college, so I think it's more likely that both of those guys get fired after after a year and a half, <laughs> or maybe you says like, you know what, this wasn't a good idea. Let's just hire a real coach. Yeah. That's proven. Sorry, Foster. We gave you a chance. It didn't work out. Uh in the NHL last night, Patrick Kane made his return to Chicago. And does it in Patrick Kane fashion. Scores he assaulted an, a woman. <laughs> scores an OT winner. You can't laugh at that. Why, both of you laughed at that. You can't laugh at him assaulting a woman. Well, he got. I think he got proved innocent on that. Did he? Yeah. I don't. Well, he didn't go to was, prison, so yeah, I, I guess. I don't think that was. Uh, am, am I spreading fake news? I think he might be spreading fake news. But he was accused of that, right? He was accused of it. Yeah. Yeah, he was accused of it. But I only laughed because he got proved innocent. That's why. <laughs> Okay. Um, First of all, you don't ever get proved innocent. You just get found not guilty. Yeah, sure, sure. Just for the record. My sports law teacher would be mad at me about Patrick that Kane. One. Let's see. I'll yeah, you've got to prove it yourself. Well, I'll get to the bottom of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Patrick Kane uh, returns to Chicago for the first time last night since he was traded last year to the Rangers. Obviously, probably one of the best players in, in franchise history for them and in NHL history. Uh little breakaway with a minute and 43 left in overtime. Everybody was yelling showtime after. I mean, it felt like for how bad Chicago is this year, it was like everyone was cheering against their own team, basically, once Patrick Kane scored this goal. It was definitely, uh, yeah, it was definitely uh, hearkening back to the old days because they did a big honoring. Uh, Chelios yeah. was there. Yep, and, that was his retirement. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, that part of it was cool. Yeah. It said that she just uh, quit cooperating with the police and didn't want to continue going forward. Okay. I know sometimes people say that's payoff. Sometimes people yeah. say it. It depends on if you like the guy or not, I guess. I, like, oh, I don't like paid the guy. it off or, or I don't just, care about she him. decided against it. I don't know. But that, that, that's how it ended. So she wasn't, he was not proven innocent. She just said she wasn't, wasn't moving forward with it. Okay. Anyways, enough of you slobbering over Patrick Kane. <laughs> Blackhawks have, Blackhawks have better days ahead, though, right? They have Absolutely. like Connor Bedard's like considered one of the the big young faces of the game. Yeah, they've they've he's, stud. he's eighteen years old too. They've hopefully got their next Patrick Kane that they're thinking in Connor Bedard. But yeah, it'll be a couple years before the Blackhawks sniff some of that greatness again. Uh, in the MLB, you had Cody Bellinger sign a three year, eighty million dollar deal back with the Cubs, staying in Chicago. Uh, this has been interesting. There's a couple, you know, fairly big name guys kind of out there in MLB free agency who still haven't really signed contracts. And, you know, obviously guys are at spring training and things are getting going there. So Bellinger finally long off season of, of trying to get a contract somewhere, but he returns back to Chicago three years, 80 million. That's been the trend in baseball free agency the last like four or five years, right? Just where these guys are, are getting squeezed until the very end. Kind of. Yeah. Other sports, you know, you try to sign your free agents fairly quickly whenever the window's open. It seems like baseball teams are fine with just sitting there, and it seems like the players are fine too, just playing a game of chicken. Yeah. You saw, like, uh, Tim Anderson, if you remember him from the White Sox. Like, he just signed with the with the Marlins, I think, last week. Big names like Blake Snell, though. Like, there, there's a couple guys that are, that are really out there that just haven't really gone back and signed. So, it'll be interesting to see who kind of picks those guys up. I feel like this started with, like, Machado or Harper or some, you know, around that era where guys are looking for $350 million and teams are just like, nah, we're good. We're not going to pay you for a while. And then eventually, you know, it would work out. They'd get the deal. But I think Bellinger's deal is uh, he did well. I mean, because yeah. he had an amazing year last year. but uh, And he's a former MVP, but he's struggled 
the two years prior uh, to the extent where I, I, th I think the change of scenery was perfect for him. We'll just see if he can string together consecutive strong seasons now. I agree. I agree. One of the best, prettiest left-handed swings you can find, though. He's he's, he's pretty, too. Uh, <laughs> wow. Sure. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I thought that's where you're going at first. Like he's one of the prettiest. <laughs> no, no, no. His uh, looking guy. His batting batting stroke is. He had a nice advantage there at Dodger Stadium too. Yeah. 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 He's a fan favorite, right? I mean, just the the whole yeah. laid back. Hey, I might be high half the time. I feel like that's what I think of when I think of Cody Bellinger. Is just that he he seems stoned half the time. Yep. I feel like the Cubs are pretty excited to get him back, and even if it was a, a pretty good contract for him. I still think the team's probably fine with it too, and the fans are happy. Yeah, they need some bats, so yeah, they're they're fine with it. Last thing, uh, combine week, big week up in Indy. Uh, it's, it's you can officially start to make irrational predictions, and you know where where players are going to get drafted to. You can start to make your mock drafts and, and hear all the rumors about different different players interviewing with different people. You got uh you got the combine starting. 25th going all the way into March 4th. Uh, guys are reporting starting starting today and stuff like that. You'll get that going this week. So I always like throwing on the combine, putting it in the background, watching some 40-yard dashes, stuff like that. What's well, funny, the hype, like, sounds like the Jaden Daniels hype has already begun before the combine. There's talk of teams wanting to trade up to the number two pick to get him. Um, it'll be interesting to see how – how that works out but it's all of a sudden drake may is not as uh not as sexy a prospect yeah drake may kind of feels like will levis to last year a little bit yeah. in terms of in terms of quarterback prospects yeah i guess will levis was mocked for a lot of the season to be a first round top five guy right and then you know of course cratered and crashed leading into the draft and ended up going up the top of the second round but i get it Williams and Williams and Daniel saying, "Hey, we're not going to throw at the combine. They don't have to. They're going to do their own pro day thing, and it makes sense." On the other hand, you have the guys who are trying to move up, like JJ McCarthy, who's trying to become a top ten pick, and Michael Penix and and Bo Nix, guys who you know hope to be first round picks. They're going to go and try to do everything they can. But if you're Williams and you're pretty much locked in as the number one pick. Don't go out and give them any reason not to take you number one. If you're Jaden Daniels, you're rising up the draft board just the more film people watch because you played so good last year. You're going to run really fast. You don't have to go throw at the combine. Throw in your controlled environment with your receivers. LSU's got good enough receivers. You can have neighbors come out there and catch some passes for you. That makes sense. Kind of sucks for the combine, though, because like you, you used to look forward to that, those quarterbacks going there and throwing, and I feel like, you know, it's just become more and more of a trend where those top guys aren't going to do that. But they're in a position of power. They don't have to. They don't have to. You, like, lock in and watch it? You, like, go home and watch the combine? I'm not, like, actively, you know, scouting like I'm an actual scout, but I'll throw it on in the background while I'm doing some work or something and watch some guys, yeah. Former producer Cam... He, this was like one of his favorite weeks. He would just be locked in watching nonstop. And I think it's fun. Working on his seven-round mock draft and trying to find diamonds in the rough. And Yeah, I, I like that stuff too. So maybe that's just geeking out a little bit. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm usually just like, ah, I'll, I'll watch the draft. Then I'll start like looking at things. But even then, it's like I don't really know who can play and who can't play until they get to the NFL so hard to project is going to be good i like to be wrong or right you know sure <laughs> you know it's <laughs> you like being wrong i wouldn't like being wrong well no it's funny to explain to, some of your takes i guess it's funny <laughs> to, it's funny to go <laughs> back and and look at some people and be like oh i thought that would be a good nfl player and they're just terrible yeah yeah i like the stories like whenever people do something really cool at the combine like when the athleticism pops out and they yeah. have a crazy number, like run really f I like still like watching the 40-yard dash of certain people. But typically it says, here, watch this insane highlight of a minute of him doing this drill. And you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's a beast. The little gauntlet drill where the receivers have to, like, turn around at each mark and ball hits him in the face or something. Like, that's like always those. a good moment on I Twitter. I like those. I like seeing how many bench, you know, press numbers they put up. Yeah, best vertical. Yeah. 
I don't really like watching the vertical, but when they're like, look, look at this record-breaking right. one, I like seeing that <laughs> yeah. one. I don't sit there and like watch the coverage. Some people do that. I can't do that. Yeah, I'm not like locked in on the coverage. I'm just looking at it, you know, wow, that's impressive. Some guy who's 300 pounds just had a 35-inch vertical or something. Good batch of headlines. We got Ryan Shepard coming up next or at 8.30, Bob? What are we looking like? Um, Yeah, he's he's – Ryan's ready whenever we want to go. Well, what do you want to do? Do you want to talk about Tennessee versus the NCAA next, then get Ryan on after that, or do you want to get him on now? Let's go ahead and get him on after a break, and then we can we can follow up with uh, Tennessee versus the NCAA. Ryan Shumpert, Rocky Top Insider, a little RTI read and react coming up after the break. Good morning. Still be crowded over here on 75 Southbound, traveling between uh, – Ryan Shumper, Rocky Top Insider, joining us now for a little read and react. Ryan, top of the morning to you. Good morning. Appreciate you guys having me on. Tennessee absolutely dominated Texas A&M over the final 24 minutes. Was that Tennessee's best stretch of basketball this season, or is there another game that stands out to you? You know, the Alabama game stands out as well, but I think when you talk about a specific stretch, I mean, you said it there with 24 minutes. It was 62 to 27 in those final uh, 24 minutes of the game. So just pure stretch. I don't think Tennessee's played any better than that against any opponent of any consequence at all. Uh, so maybe not the best game given how Texas A&M was playing. Obviously, Tennessee played really well, but the Aggies came into that one struggling um, and kind of, cling for her life to make the NCAA tournament. But pure stretch of basketball, 20, 15, 24 minutes, I don't think Tennessee's played any better than that. Do you have a lot of confidence that that carries over over these final two weeks, or is that just kind of a perfect night against an overwhelmed opponent and you're looking for revenge? Does it give you confidence that Tennessee is peaking and playing their best basketball, or are you saying you got to wait and see? I'd kind of say wait and see. I mean, that's kind of the nature of, college basketball i mean heck on whatever night it was tuesday or wednesday tennessee goes to missouri and struggles for 25 minutes so uh, i think you knew tennessee was going to be charged up and ready for that game after losing in college station two weeks prior um and, and certainly like I, I mentioned a minute ago and has been struggling pretty badly so it not that i saw 35 points coming but a, a pretty healthy win felt like it was in the cards coming in and i, I mean i think you got to feel good about Tennessee as a whole going into these final two weeks, but I don't, it doesn't necessarily make me think they're playing their best basketball right now either. Morning, Ryan. There's something I'd love to get your take on, and it's regarding Zakai Ziegler. So obviously, ZZ had what I was calling earlier in the show an all American line on Saturday night. Just a, a wonderful game. But I also saw in some of the post-game coverage where um, you know Barnes talked about that he took Zakai aside after the Missouri game, talked about you know how he wasn't happy with his performance against Missouri, and it took me back to I think it was after the first Texas A&M game in College Station where Barnes had the same kind of heart-to-heart with Zakai about I think at that point about taking charge and being the leader on the team. I guess my question for you, since you cover this team so closely, is um, Zakai is a resilient kid, obviously, and he does step up in some big moments. But is it? Do you think it's one of these deals where he kind of constantly he's going to have to have Barnes in his ear, just you know, continuing to push buttons on him, saying, "I need you to to do more." I, I'd love to see him string together multiple games like this. He's done it before, but it feels like it's been a little hit and miss as of late. Well, it was actually the South Carolina game was the the first conversation you're, right. you're referencing. You're right. That's that's what it was after. You know, I don't know. Maybe there's there's something to that. I think with it being South Carolina, it's a little bit longer stretch. I mean, I think you're talking about a about a probably about a one month stretch, and I think it's more that I see it more as you know, Rick puts a lot on his point guards, and he always has, and. I think he knows that Zakai can handle it, and Zakai is typically someone that bounces back from bad performances, and he's not going to be someone that can't take a lot of harsh criticism uh, from his coach. So 
I take it more as that and just saying Zakai has some normal inconsistency that most players who aren't elite college basketball players have, even you know just really good players like Zakai. Um, so I look at it more that way, but you know maybe there's there's something more to that as well. Moving forward, next four games, you know this is the championship stretch. That's what I've kept calling it for the SEC title. Then of course you get into the conference tournament and then the NCAA tournament. We're trying to make our prediction for the next four games. Both Bob and Sam are at three and one. Where would you? have Tennessee at over the next four games yeah I, I go three and one as well I kind of feel like the the Ken Palm predictions you know they have those in there and you know it might pick a team to win all four games and then say overall it's more likely to go three and one I think that's kind of where I'm at I, you know I look at every matchup on its own and I kind of like Tennessee in every matchup but I think they'll hold serve and win both games at home uh, I think they'll go win at South Carolina, and obviously South Carolina got a big win on Saturday at Ole Miss, bounced back from a bad week, but I, I just still think Tennessee is the far superior team, and I think you kind of talk about the revenge aspect uh, that was working in Tennessee's favor at A&M. In the Alabama game, I just I think Tennessee's better. I think it's a pretty good matchup for Tennessee. I think we've seen Tennessee play really well against these fast-paced teams that struggled defensively. Um, but at the same time, going into Tuscaloosa and winning is a very hard thing. I mean, no one's – I guess Clemson did it way back in, you know, the first week of December in the challenge. But nobody in the SEC has done it, I think, in the last two years. Uh, so it's a really hard task. Alabama has been much better there. And I think when you just combine it with the fact that all the, all four games uh, are losable, particularly the two on the road, I think probably three and one's most likely. Yeah, I like the way you put that because I do think Tennessee – in my mind, is is favored in all four games. Now, I think when the actual gambling line comes out, like Alabama's going to be favored. But I've liked that matchup all year. So, I mean, like, uh, I do, in a vacuum, each game, I do think Tennessee wins. But like you said, if you start looking at, well, it's a 70% chance they win this one and a 65% chance they win this one and 55%, you start adding those up and you're like, yeah, three and one's probably the likely outcome there which I think should be good enough to win the SEC because I do have a lot of confidence in Florida beating Alabama at Florida. Do you agree or disagree with that? Oh, completely agree. I mean, if you go 3-1 and one and beat Alabama, I think you're going to win it outright, honestly. Yep. I, I think Alabama's going to lose that game at Florida. Just They've struggled away from home, and to me, Florida's playing about as well as anybody in the conference right now. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with that, and... If you lose to Alabama, which, again, I still think the most likely loss, you, you probably still get a share and, and will almost certainly have the tiebreaker and be the one seed in Nashville. Hey, I think – and I think this was purely situational these last couple of games, but we have seen it happen two games in a row where we've seen Jonas Adu and Tobey Awaka on the floor together at the same time, um, and it's worked the last couple of games. We We didn't talk about this today, but we have talked about it on past shows where – uh, John and I, we're not sure how we feel about that for the long term, you know, uh, because it does work from time to time. But it, do you think that this is a trend that Coach Barnes might be getting back into that, that you know, because I, I think it slows things down a little bit sometimes, too. But it has clearly worked two games in a row. Uh, do you think that that's more of a trend or do you think that's something they'll be off of because of the types of teams they're getting ready to play with Auburn and with Alabama? Well, I certainly don't think you're going to see it in the Alabama game. And maybe with Jalen Williams seemingly going to be out for the game on Wednesday, too, it's probably less likely you see it against Auburn, too. But, no, I mean, I think kind of from the same point of view that you're phrasing it, we know we know Rick likes to run that two-big lineup. And he's gotten a little taste of it, and it's worked pretty well. Um, and, you know, I think mainly it's worked well from a matchup standpoint. Those were two matchups that, you know, made it – very plausible to do, and the fact that Tobey's playing better. So I think we may see it some. i kind of be surprised if we see it much this week. I especially don't think we'll see it at Alabama. Um, but even if we do, I don't think we're necessarily going to see it for the extended minutes uh, like we did in both the A&M and particularly the Missouri game when what they ran at basically the final 15 minutes of the game. Right. Yeah, I guess I should say, or at least clarify, we said if you go 3-1, and one, you win the SEC outright. That's if you take care of business on Wednesday against Auburn, because if you lose that game, 
three and one all of a sudden doesn't get you the outright title if Auburn's able to run the table. And quite frankly, Auburn's schedule really weak. Like if Auburn's able to beat Tennessee, they're kind of in pole position because they play Mississippi State at Mizzou and Georgia. So I know we're talking a lot about Alabama, but this Auburn game is gigantic on Wednesday. Yeah, you're right. It's, I think that's maybe Vanderbilt's one of the teams. They're, Auburn's it's going to take a massive upset for them to lose a game besides Tennessee on Wednesday. But yeah. I don't know. I, I just feel good about Tennessee's chances in it. Uh, I just have a hard time seeing Auburn having the guard play uh, to come in into Tennessee and win. But at the same time, I mean, Johnny Broom's the type of guy that's given Tennessee issues, and I think kind of tying the two points together, that's got to be the somewhat encouraging thing about how a walk has played better um, over the last week or two weeks of the season is it gives you uh, another body to be able to throw at him. Uh, one of those elite big men that obviously we've seen Tennessee lose a handful of games to teams that have those guys earlier this season. Auburn has fared really well against Tennessee, you know, in recent history. Bruce has the better of Barnes when you look at that matchup. But I am I am feeling a good 3-for-14 shooting performance from, from K.D. Johnson coming up yeah. on Wednesday. I'm rubbing my hands just thinking about it now. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. And You're right. I mean, I, I feel like Bruce always has a really good plan to take away Tennessee's best player. I mean, I go back and think of those Grant Williams games, but it's just harder to game plan for a guy like Dalton Connect because of the fact that he's so versatile and can do so many different things. Um, and I think Tennessee has a few more answers this year than they've maybe had in past seasons. And, and then you're right. I mean, that's with any coach, there's the good with the bad. And I think the bad with, with Bruce is how much he lets his, his guards kind of free play. And, uh, and once again, I think he's got a team that he shouldn't be letting the guards free play as much as, much as he does. Yeah, by my count, Tennessee 2-7 and seven over their last nine games against Auburn. Have won two of the last three, but yeah, 2-7. and seven over the last nine, so Bruce has had Barnes's number. I got to admit, I'm a little fascinated when I watch Katie Johnson. It's just like watching, you know, like a 12-year-old out there well, playing. He looks like a 12-year-old, but he also looks like one of those, like, doo-wop singers from the 60s that could have been, like, 28 and, and looking 50. I don't know what I think Katie Johnson looks like, but I, I am fascinated by him, and I do like watching him play whenever I'm rooting against Auburn because he's almost always going to do something <laughs> bad. Talking with Ryan Shumpert, RockyTopInsider.com. Any thoughts on the baseball team coming out of the weekend? Any new any new situations, new players breaking out, any new developments, I guess I should say, in terms of what happened this weekend? Yeah, I'll do my best not to ramble too much on this. I mean, A.J. Russell pitches just three innings on Friday in exits with some soreness. It sounds like it's a side strain for him, so I don't think overly serious, not, you know, you heard soreness in the post-game press conference, and obviously with a pitcher in baseball, there was some immediate concerns. So he'll take a few days off. I'd be surprised if he's out there this weekend, um, and they'll probably target Illinois in a worst-case have him back for SEC play. Probably not the worst thing in the world for a guy that's going to have a, a very large increase in workload this season, and obviously Tennessee's pitching staff, Jill, trying to figure out that third weekend starter so it gives them another weekend opportunity to kind of mess around with uh, against Bowling Green if that proves to be the case. And then uh, at the plate, I mean, Robin Villeneuve, the junior college transferred from, I believe, Weatherford College down in Texas. He's a Quebec native, uh, a very interesting guy, and, I mean, he continues just to rake. He had another huge weekend, um, and it's going to make it pretty hard for Tony Vitello to take him out of the lineup. So uh, a lot of that stuff with the outfield competition competition in the designated hitter spot to me remains really curious as I think Vitello said it uh, they have the best depth at the position player spots that they've had since he's been there when you talk to Tony Vitello the next time can you can you ask him what he thinks about Dalton Bargo's speed because that was my takeaway from the weekend is that guy's not very fast but he thinks he's fast <laughs> yeah I mean I think he had an attempted stolen base at one point I mean that's you know that I a lot of times these early season games, they blend in so much with the inter-squad scrimmages you watch. And there's so many times in the inter-squad scrimmages where it's like, why in the world is that person trying to steal a base? And most of the time, I think they're trying to put the pressure on the catchers uh, on their own team. And He looked like yeah, he had that a was, piano on his back yesterday whenever he tried to stretch out a, a double. He got thrown out by five feet. I'd never seen such a thing. Yeah, that was uh, a little Lindsey Nelson Stadium take of away when he smokes a double off the right field wall. And it, it's so so short out there and the right fielder plays it well and he's about halfway to the to second base when he gets thrown out so uh yeah this 
team's got a lot of strengths. I don't think speed is going to be uh, a major one. So we'll see how aggressive they'll be on the base pass, and that might not be a bad thing. As uh, Tennessee teams in the past have sometimes gotten a little little over aggressive uh, and made some some dumb outs that way. Hey Ryan, what are your thoughts on Dean Curley at this point? I mean, he had some uh, he had some big games. He had one against CTSU. He had a and he he got a fair amount of run. It looked like in the Albany series. I'm just trying to get a feel for some of these younger guys where they're where you th- think they may fit into the lineup on you know more of a regular or everyday basis. Well, I think what stands out about Curley is just physically how how well built he is for a freshman and how good he's been defensively at the shortstop spot. And he's you know he's hit a couple home runs. Uh, I wouldn't say his average or his consistency at the plate has been great, but he's a guy that you know looks the part, seemingly uh, fits in well. I think the question becomes, you know, he's clearly, you know, he missed the first weekend with a hamstring injury. I think he's clearly ahead of Bracky Lowry, who started the three games. I think it was all three games over in Arlington. The question becomes when Ariel Antigua, uh, another freshman, gets back from a hand injury that he's dealing with, which should be before too long, at least before SEC play starts. How do those two guys uh, kind of figure out that spot? And can Curley play so well in these next week, week and a half or so before Antigua gets back? that he's won the job, and it's going to be very, very difficult for Antigua to unseat him. And I think that'll just depend on what he can do at the plate because Antigua are a really, really good defensive shortstop. RockyTopInsider.com, a lot of Tennessee news. Tennessee versus the NCAA, we haven't even discussed that yet. The baseball team looks like they are, you know, Omaha good. The basketball team... Looks like they can go to a Final Four. The football team looks like they can be a college football playoff team. Some exciting times on Rocky Top, and they got you covered. RockyTopInsider.com. Ron, anything special you're working on this week? Uh, I should have a piece out later this week, just kind of how Josiah and Dalton have benefited from playing with with one another, uh, probably on Thursday or Friday. So be on the lookout for that. But besides that, just chugging along with Tennessee or plenty of Tennessee basketball and baseball. Can you give me a little bit of a sneak peek on that? Is it Josiah saying, hey, it's nice to have Dalton because people don't get mad at me when I don't shoot and don't score? <laughs> well, this is uh, this is a story that's had to pivot a little bit. It was pitched, I think, right before SEC play. Um, and obviously Josiah went ahead to, you know, he was shooting 40% from three at that point. He went ahead to shoot like one of 24 to start SEC play. So, uh, you know, kind of Tennessee, some of it is that Tennessee not asking as much out of Josiah uh, offensively, and then Josiah kind of taking a lot of the pressure uh, off of Dalton on the defensive end of the court as well. It's going to be, uh, it's hard to believe we're closing in on senior day here pretty soon. It's This is going to be a, a special one with Josiah, Santee, Dalton Connect, you know, all moving on. It's uh, it's going to be a little, little bittersweet, honestly. Yeah, Dalton's going to be, you know, one where you talk about you don't have many one-year guys that make the impact that he, he has made, and not just from on the court, because obviously occasionally you get a one-and-done that's really good, like Kennedy Chandler, but uh, from a guy to come in and, you know, feels like he's really embraced Tennessee and Tennessee's really embraced him, and I don't know, it'll obviously depend on how these final two weeks of the regular season and the NCAA tournament go, but it feels like if Dalton keeps playing the way he has been playing and Tennessee makes a run in March. I mean, I think Dalton could be remembered as a, kind of a favorite vol for for this generation, which would be pretty crazy for a dude that it was just going to be here for one season. No, you're 100% correct about that. He, he is stamped as a Tennessee legend already. You know, with still some work to do. He could take that to a completely different stratosphere, you know, if this team has the success that they can have. You're 100% right about that. It does hit different than the freshman one-and-dones like Dalton – going to have more love and fanfare than Chandler and like Tobias, you know, who are both one and done yeah. guys. I think you're right about that for sure. All right, Ryan, yeah, thank you for your time. You got any thoughts on that? Or No, you got okay, it. Yeah. Appreciate you, Ryan. Talk to you next Monday. RockyTopInsider.com. Appreciate you as always. Yeah, of course. Appreciate you guys having me on. I mean, yeah, I think he is spot on this team is going to have a crazy senior night because you had some guys who were here for a really long time and at some points felt like they maybe overstayed their welcome. Yeah. You know, I've seen plenty of fans saying, ah, you know, if Santee's not going to shoot, he should have just not came back. And, oh, we could have done better without Josiah. Where's Chris Ledlam, of all people?
You got you got people pining for a guy who is getting called fat by his coach up at St. John's. People are like, oh, I wish we had him instead of Josiah. So, I mean, like, you have two guys who have had some really, really good times and have had some bad times. And then you got Dalton Connects who has come in, you know, guns blazing for one year and going to leave as a legend. And as as Ryan said, one of the more beloved players of this generation, there's going to be a lot of kids growing up who Dalton Connect is their favorite ball of all time. Right, it's it's gone so fast compared to think of uh, just a year ago the Tyreek Key senior year was like just kind of trudged along. This one feels like you know again it's like every week passes like oh my god he's gonna be gone in a couple games you know it's it's tough I yeah, hate it. Tyreek Key did not get legend no status in one season that, that is true. Although he did that Casey's Pizza commercial that was kind of legendary, and the Gonzaga exhibition they the can't. Gonz- they can't take away the pizza or the Gonzaga exhibition. He gave us hope, didn't he, for a second. Which is even crueler than never giving it to us at all. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Sam, send us to break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Make it. Put the poll question up on X. Fox Sports Knoxville. Fox Sports Knox on X. Asking your thoughts on the record down the stretch. 425 votes are in. Not surprising. 61% of people agree with you 2 and Ryan saying 3-1. and one. Ask for people to give their loss if they if they did have one. Bama leading the way there in terms of the most likely loss, of course. No real surprise. Four and at seventeen percent, two and two at twenty two percent. Oh. Gross. Is that sad? That, that that tells me all I need to know about a portion of our fan base that watches that performance and still thinks two and two is more likely than four and Still doing the whole keep your cup on thing. Get out of here. <laughs> What's the point? What's the point? Now's the time to unlock and unleash your unbridled optimism. Can I, yeah, can I chime <laughs> in on this? The, uh, I, I think I, uh, I mentioned it about, is this the, could this be the golden age of UT athletics? Just what you said when we were going out with Ryan Baseball's top of their game. Basketball's playing well. Football now will be unencumbered, it appears, by any NCAA stuff, and they're on the rise. Women's basketball, that's another story. But but overall, but there's still people saying, oh, we'll wait till March. It's like, I know, the only remaining piece is postseason success. And just in, enjoy what's happening now, and there's feels like as good a chance for postseason success as I've ever seen. So, Let's let's be optimistic, man. Please, this is crazy. Sam, yes or no? Tennessee makes a Final Four, a championship series in Omaha, or the Elite Eight in football? Would you do you think at least one of those happens this calendar year? So a the Elite Eight in football. So yeah, when or. One playoff win. You win. You win a playoff game. Okay. You make because I think making the twelve team playoff that's one thing, but actually winning one game, getting to the elite eight, getting to the the quarterfinals or the championship series in Omaha. Because I think both making the playoff and I think both making Omaha, we're a little bit past that. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of accomplishments. Honestly, I think you can get two or three. Then you get two out of those three? I think you can get two out of those three. So you I, feel very confident that at least one of those three things happen? Yeah, yeah, I do. I feel very confident, and and I can I think I can make a case for either three of those. I, th- I feel very confident in this football team coming up and winning a playoff game with what you've got in Nico in returning. I feel confident in this basketball team, obviously, to make a run to the Elite Eight. And Yeah, I mean, I, I think this, this baseball team is absolutely good enough to get to the championship series in Omaha. You know, that one's a little bit more of a question mark I think just obviously it's so early in the year but yeah I feel very confident about getting to at least one of those and I think you can get to two Bob do you feel confident that Tennessee does at least one of those things this calendar year yes one I feel confident about 
I love Sam's optimism. Two might be a lot, but I I do think one is uh, is viable. Did you so for basketball? Did we say Final Four or Elite Eight? Final Four. Final Four basketball. I you said Elite Eight for basketball. Elite, no, no. Final Four basketball. Elite, Elite Eight also in in the football. Yeah. Well, Elite Eight for football. Final Four basketball. Too late to walk it back now. Let's go for two. Let's go two out of three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sam wants to re- reposition. Now I. Uh, yeah, I think one. I, I do think one is one of those three is is absolutely attainable and and should happen. I think that it would be disappointing if you went over three. I think that'd be a big failure by the by the coaches and the athletic department. I mean, a missed opportunity. It's hard to call it a failure because, I mean, if Tennessee loses a heartbreaker in the Elite Eight and has a great season, it's hard to call that season a failure, right? If, if Tennessee makes the playoff and loses the playoff on the road in Nico's first year as a starter, that's hard to call that a failure. If baseball gets knocked out before the championship series and finishes in third or fourth, of course, it's hard to call that a failure. But if you combine all three of those things, it would feel like a big wasted opportunity. Because you can't make the case for all three of those things happening. You know, if I just make it, make the playoff in football and make Omaha in baseball, how different does that become in terms of looking at the likelihood if it's just make the 12 team field and make the 18 omaha playoff uh, omaha world series the group the conglomerate there like that almost feels like all three things i don't want to say should happen because you know you can't say you should make a final four but the other two things should happen i think did we talk about this before that we think the college world series at least this has always been my takeaway i know there's eight teams there but it feels to me like you make the college world series that's kind of the equivalent of a final four for sure yeah that's the way i view it i mean making omaha that's the goal like you know in basketball you don't say win the national championship it's almost make the final four make the final four baseball is the same way you don't say make the championship series win it all it's just make omaha and then you take your chances in omaha because omaha gets so wacky and it's so long and it's yeah it's almost a, a a change from the actual baseball season in terms of what you are required to have to win. It just kind of throws things up against the wall. And it's like, okay. Because, I mean, like, if you look at LSU, their path to the national championship last year, their game against us when they're throwing just their bullpen, basically, the entire game, and their bullpen sucked all year. And then all of a sudden it comes out and shuts us down. Like, that was unexpected. That wasn't on your bingo card for the baseball season last year. Their strength was, you know, skeins. Their bullpen sucked. Instead, their bullpen lifted them up and helped them get there. But, yeah, I think making the Final Four, making Omaha, those are equivalent. I don't know what it is for football, though. What's the equivalent of making the Final Four in football? Because I think just making the 12-team playoff, I don't think it's that. I actually think it's making the Final Four in football. Yeah. To me, making the 12-team playoff is almost like just the Sweet 16. Right. Maybe you could say it's the lead eight. I don't know, but yeah, I don't. I think it's going to be an accomplishment to make it for some programs. For others, it's going to be like yawn. Yeah, of course, we're kind of coasting here. Kind of like how the ones and two seeds in basketball they don't really do backflips for making the Sweet Sixteen. But if you're a three or four seed, you're like hell yeah, we've 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 taken care of business. If you're a one seed, you're 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 expected to roll to the Sweet Sixteen. You don't really celebrate those. UConn basketball is not going to be doing backflips for making the Sweet 16 this year. They're going to be like, okay, now the season starts. That's kind of how your top football programs are going to be in the 12-team playoff, right? Because you can go 10-2 and and get there. And you'll have your Georgias be like, okay, now it's time to play the season. Now the season begins. Yeah. Yeah. Coming out of this, Tennessee on FanDuel at least favored to win the SEC regular season championship. It's gone from plus 175 this time last week, Sam, I believe. Was it last Monday when we locked this in? I think so. I told you, hey, plus 175, give mm-hmm. it to me. Now it's plus 105. They're, asking, they're offering me a little profit on my cash out, but I ain't taking it. I ain't taking it. I'm in the driver's seat now. Tennessee plus 280 to make a Final Four. And th- I found this one interesting, Sam. For as much talk as the bracketology people are saying, especially Joe Lenardi, 
I'm about ready to cancel Joe Lenardi, Bob, who who keeps saying that Tennessee's dead in the water for a for a one seed and basically like, oh, it's it's already locked in. My one seeds are locked in. First of all, how the hell is that the case? Right. How the hell is Arizona locked in as if they can't lose? Tennessee has four quad one opportunities this week. You tell me these next two weeks. You're gonna tell me if they go four and zero that they're not a one seed. If you've already locked in, then quit taking a paycheck from ESPN for the month. If you've already locked in and done your job, FanDuel has the odds for, for one seeds. Arizona, a favorite at minus 140. Tennessee, not that far behind at plus 230. So they don't deem that as a as a necessarily a long shot by any means. That's your typical, you know, you're a five-point underdog or so in football. Like, that's not that big of a deal. That's not that big. Those win all the time. Well, did you see Lenardi, at least what I was seeing last night on social media, Lenardi had them in as a one seed for a minute and then changed it you know, because he recalculated after realizing that they lost to North Carolina, that Tennessee lost to North Carolina. And so he had, in his latest. We had, he had Tennessee behind North Carolina. Yeah, I didn't yeah. see him move us up to the one seed. I saw someone say that or his. Maybe I misread them. But, yeah, he had us ahead of North Carolina. We had, he had us as the top two seed. And then, yeah, moved us to number six. Yeah. Which I think is stupid as well. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I don't think one game is better than a, a full body of work. Yeah. And I also don't think that North Carolina would come into Knoxville and win. I also don't think Kentucky's better than North Carolina. Kentucky beat North Carolina at home. Is their resume that different in terms of just like the win loss record? Why is it Kentucky ahead of North Carolina? They beat them head to head. You can't just look at it that way. But maybe I don't know if like him having them as the top two seed means he thinks that they're likely to be a one seed or has the best chance of being a one seed. But I'm just talking about the gambling gods. North Carolina all the way down at nine to one to be a one seed. So the actual like gambling markets don't see their path to being a one seed. Tennessee again. The fifth best odds, they're the top two seed as far as that goes. And right behind Arizona. Jerry Palm just dropped his latest. Friend of the program, Jerry Palm. Yes. About ten minutes ago. But I find this a little curious because he's got North Carolina as his fourth one seed. Now, again, if we don't know if his rationale for that or his calculus for that included the head-to-head with Tennessee because he was the one, if you recall – that was saying it's not just about the head-to-head. It's really about how your opponents, you know, do. And and Carolina has lost to Georgia Tech. And, I mean, there's it, it's a very different setup. And um, the other thing he has is he's got them, you know, Lenardi, I think, has Tennessee and Houston's region. He's, uh, Palm's got them in Purdue's region, which, again, if a lot of, lot of water in front of this, but if those two were in the Elite Eight, that means somebody might be going to their first Final Four. It happens. seems it seems so dumb to me that they're not just saying, hey, Arizona's the weakest one seed. Hey, Tennessee's the best two seed. That's I who's going to play. I, I don't care to go out to Los Angeles. It'll be nice this time of year. I don't care to go out to Los Angeles to play a better, a better matchup for Tennessee. I don't want to play UConn or Purdue. No. If we're the best two seed, let us play the weakest one seed. I did see over the weekend some some stuff from the NCAA committee that was basically going ahead and letting you know Tennessee would not be going to Memphis that they're pretty much locked into Charlotte the first two week the first two games the first weekend. So if you're wanting to kind of make some plans there, feels like a safe bet that Tennessee goes to Charlotte. Now if you buy tickets and it doesn't work out that way, don't yell at me, don't blame me. But I'm just saying that that's where it's leaning right now. Would you rather play Purdue or Houston? I'd rather play Purdue. Houston feels like when Will Warren talked about this, and I tend to agree with him over the weekend, that feels like Texas A&M on steroids. Their style of play and everything else. I don't know. I don't know. When I watch Houston, Houston doesn't scare me. Maybe that's dumb. It's just I've seen that brand of basketball. I've seen Houston in general of Kelvin Sampson get to the tournament and be in some slobber knockers and, like, they don't really run away from people in the games I've watched, at least. I mean, like, they, they blew that lead to, to Baylor this weekend. Now, they ended up winning, but they were up, I believe, 17 at halftime or somewhere around there, and the game ends up going to overtime. Right. I think Tennessee can match up with them. I think Tennessee is physically tough. I think they can 
handle good defense and, and score enough points. Maybe I'm dumb. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But Houston, Purdue, UConn, I would rather not play any of them. I'd rather get to play Arizona, where we should be, or we're the one seed and we get to play, you know, Kansas or something. I'd rather have that. But I'd be fine with playing any one seed except UConn, even if it's – I mean, North Carolina doesn't worry me. Um Houston a little bit. Purdue doesn't worry me. Um, UConn's the only one. I get it. UConn's the national champs. But when I watch them, I do think that they're not the juggernaut that we maybe paint them as. I think in a one game off, would they be favored over Tennessee? Sure. Would they, would they beat Tennessee? I don't know. Maybe. But I don't look at them as, like, unbeatable. I don't guess Purdue is unbeatable. Maybe that's me being naive, or maybe that's just me having too much confidence in Tennessee, but I think Tennessee can match up with anybody in the country. I think Tennessee's got the guard play. I think Tennessee's got the big men. I think they got the score. I think it just comes down to whether or not they hit some shots. And you laugh at that, but, I mean, that's what happened to us against FAU, and that's what happened to us against Michigan. Oh, no, I laugh yeah. about it because it's, true. it's killed us. Yeah. You you, know? you, yeah. And maybe you can say, hey, these same guys are on the team, and what makes you think they're going to hit shots this year? And I would say that's a fair question. Now, Dalton Connect wasn't on the team, and I have confidence in him, but make some shots. And I think Tennessee can be anybody in the country. So I'm not going to really worry yet about who the potential one seed is there. I'll wait to see how the bracket comes out. The end of Hour 2 is brought to you by Knoxville Smiles. From routine dental cleanings to tooth removal, restorative procedures such as fillings and crowns, Straightening your teeth with Invisalign, veneers, or implants, they can do it all at Knoxville Smiles. Contact Knoxville Smiles today at 865-539-1776 to set up an appointment. Dr. Stephen Malone and his staff do a great job, and they will take pride in communicating and listening to you and helping you come up with the best decisions about your dental health possible. Take a virtual tour of their state-of-the-art West Knoxville facility at KnoxvilleSmiles.com. KnoxvilleSmiles.com. Hour two is over. Hour three, we'll have some winners and losers. We'll talk Tennessee baseball, maybe a little Tennessee versus the NCAA. No surprise on Friday, but Tennessee did get a win, as expected. Still got a lot to unpack over this last hour. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Ever been the coach? 